you are to be concerned with Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money Budgets You've all asked for it We're giving it to you. This is our big budgeting episode. As I'm sure you know if you're a listener or you can guess if this is your first time here and have any sense of my politics, I am skeptical of budgets. I hate the idea that we have to scrimp and save while the real problems are systemic, but honestly, most of us need progress and change and help now. My guest this week is the budgetnista Tiffany Aliche. That's what she goes by. Co-host of the podcast Brown Ambition. She has 10 components of budgeting that she built after her life fell apart financially. She thought she was all set, and then life happened. Aliche preaches financial wholeness, not just having money, but knowing where your money is going and what affairs you have in order. She also works with marginalized people and communities and can tailor her advice and program for people with specific cultural priorities and needs, for example, immigrants and or fellow black women. Aliche says to prioritize health and safety separating your budget into tiers that reflect the reality of life's unpredictability. Her advice is for my Virgos and Capricorns out here, but everyone who wants to can also get on board. It's all broken down in really simple, categorized ways. You don't just cut and reduce willy-nilly or based on what's considered quote-unquote frivolous. It's budgeting that is a say-yes plan, as Tiffany calls it, and not something you're bound by. A budget shouldn't be handcuffs. It should be the key. It's hard. I've gone back and forth for a really long time about doing a budgeting episode, to be honest. There's some listeners who really enjoy and want these more tangible, classic tips episodes of Bad With Money, and some who find it alienating because it so often ignores the larger, pressing political problems behind these normalized financial behaviors. I prefer for this show to prioritize social justice topics over things that might feel shaming or stressful, and oftentimes budgeting is a tool of shame. It's a way to make people feel bad about themselves when it comes to their money situations. It's a it's a stressor. It's a thing that you feel you should be doing. And this show is not about that. But truthfully, I budget. I use apps to do so because real life keeps coming and it don't stop coming. While you fight the good fight and educate yourself, I guess I have to admit that capitalism forces us all into a corner. I'm working hard to reframe my thinking away from admonishing myself for overspending on the quote-unquote wrong things or beating myself up and exacerbating my depression when I'm over budget. For example, my dog just needed emergency vet services that cost me $450. And we learned he has arthritis. So it's not as bad as the $2,000 I spent to find out he doesn't have Cushing's disease. Things just pop up. And I have to learn that I can budget without the self-hatred. Okay, Tiffany, can you tell my listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. I always like to start with a hey, hey, hey. (laughs) My name is (laughs) Tiffany, the budget nista Aliche. I like to call myself America's favorite financial educator, but that's just me who says that. (laughs) I was like, well, we're about to fight right now. I know. I just call myself that. Nobody else calls me that. So I would just say, hopefully, one of your favorite financial educators. And 
yeah, I, I specialize in teaching women about money in a way that's approachable and fun, similar to you, Gabby. So, you know, we're sisters in the financial sisterhood. <laughs> I know. So where did you get the nickname Budget Nista? From my shady little sister. I'm one of five girls and Lisa's the baby. And one day I asked her what should my nickname be because I was I was starting to teach financial education and volunteer to do so. She said, oh, you know the fashionista? I was like, oh, yeah. She was like, yeah, that's not you. You don't really dress that well. But you're cheap. You should be the budgetista. <laughs> so... The name stuck, but last laughs on her because the budgetista's popping right now. Exactly. Okay. So also I saw that your book is called Get Good With Money, which yes. again, my book is called Bad With Money. So again, I think we have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that you mostly do and like what what is what will someone find in that book? So with Get Good With Money, what you won't find is any judgment. You won't find me trying to be your financial guru. I would say I'm like your financial girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Like we can just chill and talk and there's not going to be this rhetoric. What you're going to really find is these 10 simple steps to becoming financially whole. That's the subtitle. I believe financial wholeness should be the goal. Financial freedom, don't get me wrong, is cool, but you can be financially free, meaning you have enough money, you don't have to work anymore, but not be financially whole. For example, Prince, when he died and passed away, the artist formerly known as, he was financially free plenty of money. But the problem is he was not financially whole. He did not have an estate plan. He did not have a will. Mm. And so it is my aim to try to get as many people financially whole as possible when these 10 aspects of your financial life build a really strong foundation for you that you build the rest of your life on. That's that's my mission. So that's interesting because we were just talking to someone about building wealth. And I think people often think oh, it's just get more money, get more money. But it's not actually the holistic approach of having everything settled. Yes. Because my first job as a teacher, I was a preschool teacher for 10 years and I was making $39,000 a year, but I was financially whole. Like I had, so here are the 10 components, mm -hmm. Gabby. It's budgeting, saving, debt, credit, learning to earn, then investing for both wealth and retirement, insurance net worth, your money team, like your team of financial professionals and leaving a legacy. So when I was 22, 23, and I was teaching preschool, making $39,000 a year, I'd achieved all 10 of these as it was appropriate for a 22 year old. Right. So estate planning for me was, hey, I've got a bank account. My mom is my beneficiary on it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know, that's plenty for a 22 year old. But now that I'm 40, my estate planning looks different because I have several businesses and I have more money and more property. So that estate planning has to look different. That's what I love about financial wholeness. It kind of meets you where you are and it develops as you develop. And it's just a constant journey. So you were financially whole. And then what happened? Uh, I decided to throw it out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's so crazy because, so I'd reach financial wholeness because quite honestly, Gabby, I used to just do what my dad told me to do. My father was a CFO and an accountant and he has a degree in economics and a degree in finance. So he wow. was like, pay off your credit cards every month in full. I was like, okay, don't put more than this balance on your credit card. Okay. You know, so whatever he told me to do, I did. And then one day, you know, I started feeling myself. And I was like, I don't need to listen to him anymore. I'm an adult. I have my own place. I'm going to invest on my own. And so my first investment out the gate, I chose a scam artist because, you know, why not? I did not know he was a scam artist at first, but he was. 
The investment that he had me invest in was to withdraw money off of my credit cards to use to invest with him. And so I withdrew $20,000 and then I ran the credit cards up another $15,000. He, of course, ran away with my money, left me $35,000 in credit card debt in like two days after not having debt. What would be the red flag for people to not do that? So anybody who wants you to take a cash advance out, yeah, a uh, red flag. So for example, Gabby, he told me my return on investment was, it's insane. I was going to invest 20000 and get $2,000 a month or $2,000 a week for two years. That's like, so you invest twenty and get back two hundred. dollars If the returns seem insane, too good to be true, it's likely too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel comfortable telling everyone about right. it, like I didn't tell my father about it. I was like, uh, I'm going to keep this one a secret because deep down inside, I likely was like, I'm not really sure about it, but I took the risk anyway. So those are some red flags. Totally. So then what happened? So of course he ran away with my money, even though for two years I was like calling, crying. I didn't know what to do. I had just bought a condo by that time. So I had $220,000 mortgage over my head. And I just graduated with my master's, $52,000 in student loan debt. Now this $35,000 credit card debt. And two years after like trying to hunt him down and realizing he wasn't going to come back, I said, okay, let me buckle down and pay this off myself. And I promptly lost my job during the recession. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so I ended up having to move home with my parents. And I was 29 then going on 30. So that was fun times. 30 years old in your middle school bed. Yay. Mm, That's probably incredibly relatable. (laughs) Yes. It was really hard. And I will say this because people always ask. I call him Jack the Thief. JTT. His name is not Jack, but I don't want everybody knowing his name because he his name is very distinct. But I would every once in a while I would Google him. And the last time I Googled him, maybe like a year or two ago, it said Jake the Thief versus the United States government. Apparently, like he was continuing to commit fraud and he committed fraud at a federal level. So you went through it. Yes, I did. Absolutely. So first of all, what is a budget? A budget is a physical picture of what your money is doing within a specific time frame. So I like the 30-day time frame, one month. So it's a picture of money in, money out within that one month time frame. And when you were starting over, how did you start and how does one start putting together a budget? Well, first, before you even start with the technical stuff, you have to forgive yourself. I was really mad at myself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I could be so stupid. Oh, you're so dumb. Oh, Tiffany. Like, wow, the last time you were this broke in this room, you were like, 15. You probably had more money at 15 than you do at 30 living, sleeping in this middle school bed. So you have to forgive yourself. And the fastest way to do so is to give voice to the shame that you're feeling. So my best friend Linda had been calling me. I was avoiding her because who want to talk about, you know, my sucky life. And so finally I spoke with her and told her everything that was happening. And she was like, uh, welcome to the world. We've all had credit card debt. I'm at home with my mom right now because I too lost my job. Basically, she normalized my financial struggle. And I said, okay. So then it was time to get to business. Once I was able to forgive myself and let go of though that shame, I said, so what do I know? I knew how to budget. So I started with what I call a money list. I just listed everything that I spent money on. Like, what does my life cost me? So not just bills, but like, you know, it might be grooming. It might be entertainment, transportation. So how much does my life cost me? And maybe my life was costing, say, $4,000. And then, well, the money in part really is how much am I making? And I was just, I was just collecting unemployment. So it wasn't much, Mm -hmm. maybe like 2,200 bucks a month. So there was a big gap there. So then I had to ask myself, everybody can't get paid. Who's not going to get paid, Tiffany? 
and I had to focus on what I call my health and safety bills, the things I have to pay to maintain my health and safety. So for me, I decided I wasn't going to pay my mortgage because although that would technically be a health and safety bill, because if you don't pay your mortgage, then you might be on the street. Thankfully, my parents lived in New Jersey where I where my condo was. So I said, well, I can still stay with them. So I said, okay, $1,600 mortgage, you're not going to get paid. So you sold the condo? I couldn't. Like nobody was buying. I bought it for $220 at the time. The, the condo was worth $150. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I, I tried to short sell. I tried to do all the things, but the bank that I, that my mortgage was with was the literal worst. And so all I, what I was able to do eventually was to rent it out to help offset some of the cost of the condo. But then of course, because I wasn't famous making mistakes, I rented out to another friend who decided never to pay rent. So I was stressed. <laughs> I was like, what is this life of mine? <laughs> Even if you're the best, you can't predict everything that's going to happen. Yes. So you were like, okay, so I'm not going to pay this mortgage anymore. Yes. And I'm going to move home. Mm-hmm. And I, I told, I called my mortgage company. Of course, they weren't happy. So they began to harass me at my parents' house, on my cell phone, even my sisters, if they were called them. So I quickly Googled cease and desist letter. And so I faxed it to them with my last like little 75 cents at Staples. And I said, you can't call me at these numbers, but you can email me and, um, and send me letters. That's fine. So at least I could like reduce the anxiety there. And then I just proceeded to just pay my health and safety bills and did things on the side. Like I used to do studies like, hey, you know, what's your favorite toothpaste? I'm like, uh, I don't know, Crest. So when can I get my $35? You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I used to babysit a lot. I used to tutor like little ones. And so I was doing all these side hustles to try to keep my head above water. And as I was building the Budgetista, after a year, I got my first contract with the Budgetista through the United Way. It's a nonprofit that focuses on helping the community. And they said that they would pay me $300 a class. It's either $300 nice. or $500 a class. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'll do it. So it was only one class a week and I had a six-week course. So then later I convinced them to let me do two classes a week. So I was like, ooh, what's better than one? Too. And so that's when I started to get back on my feet when I found like a more reliable source of income. So you sat down and you were like, okay, I can't do this. I can't do that. So it was a mix of what needs to go and what needs to happen. Yes. It was definitely like, okay, Tiffany, some people are not going to be paid. They're going to be pissed, but at least I can stop the phone calls. And you're just going to have to like, I always say like when you mess up, you just have to take your lumps. That's what I tell my mentees. Like, well, you messed up. You have to just take your lumps. And my lumps were going to be a credit score that was going to fall and credit debt collectors calling me. So I was like, you're just going to have to take your lumps. You can stop the debt collectors from calling you, but you can't stop your credit score. Not really. And so what I did do that was smart was because right before I stopped paying my mortgage, I said, in a minute, Tiffany, your credit score is going to tank. Go and get you two balance transfer cards to take the, because I took a cash advance out for my card to, to you know, for the, for the scam. And mm-hmm. I said, go get two balance transfer cards and transfer those credit cards to those balance transfer cards. So that way you can pay zero interest on your credit cards. You know, mm-hmm. so that was one thing I did really smart because I knew once I stopped paying my mortgage, my credit score was going to tank and I would not be eligible to open up any new credit cards. So I did wow. that. Mm-hmm. That helped significantly. So instead of having $35,000 with like a 10% interest rate, it was $35,000 at a 0% interest rate for almost two years because my credit score was so good at that time. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. So basically, I think people are really scared of taking their lumps, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I think they're just overwhelmed and terrified. So it's interesting to hear you say that's part of budgeting. 
Yeah, it is. Honestly, it's hard. I'm not going to, I mean, I wasn't like, woohoo, these lumps are great. <laughs> I was like, my life sucks. I'm a loser. But yeah. I will say this, what helps significantly is finding like-minded people who are also going through something similar. It's really one of the reasons why I started Budgetista. And I have this, so like I would say Beyonce has a beehive and the Budgetista has dream catchers. So there's like a million of us worldwide. We have a Facebook group where 500,000 of us hang out. So even if you don't have a Linda in your real life, you can find a Linda in dream catchers and just someone to lean into to say, I made a mistake. And they're like, me too. And many of those people are like, and I fixed it. Here's how. Yes, we've talked a lot on this show about how talking to each other eliminates the shame and you can get tips and tricks. Exactly. If someone was just going to sit down and do a budget for the first time, you said they should look at in and out and they should figure out what lumps they're going to take. What are the other steps? So four four steps to a budget. One, make a list, right? So just a list of just the words. Mm-hmm. Grooming, Netflix, Disney Plus, you know, eating out, mortgage. Just make a list with just the words. Second, mm-hmm. step two put a number to those words. So how much do these things cost you a month? Grooming, you might only get a haircut every two months. And let's just say it's, I don't know, 50 bucks. So it's 25 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So do that math, you know, whether it's multiplication, like you eat out twice a week and it's 10 bucks. So that's $20 a week. That's four weeks in a month. That's 80 bucks. So that's mm-hmm. step two, put a number, uh, the monthly number to that word. That's step two. Step three is to add up your money out list. How much money do you spend? you know, monthly. And then step four is subtract it from your money in list. How much money do you make minus how much money do you spend? And that's just a basic budget. So you get to see it might be negative, but now you've got this really great list where you're just like, okay, here are all my expenses. What can I do? Who's not going to get paid or who can I reduce or who can I just say, you know, I'm canceling this. So your budget is that physical picture in those four easy steps. And you know, I like to take it a step further. Like in Get Good With Money, I show you how to categorize your budget. So I put a B next to all my bills. I put a U in front of the Bs where the bills are like utility bills. That's what I call them. Bills that fluctuate based upon your usage. And then I put a C next to everything else. Because when I'm looking to make cuts, I look at my Cs first because your Cs are your cash expenses, or I like to call them your choice expenses. So that's like grooming, entertainment. So if I need to make a cut, I'm like, let me look at my Cs first. If I cut as many seeds as I can and it's still not enough, then I look at my UBs. Those are my utility bills, meaning like my usage determines the number, right? Like, Mm -hmm. ooh, I can reduce some of these, some of my usage. Not enough of a cut. Then I look at my Bs. Your Bs are more your fixed expenses. So you're like, okay, next time, you know, um, in two months, my lease is up. So I'm going to move from a one bedroom to a studio to save 200 bucks a month. And so that's how you begin to have a budget that actually works for you. And is your say yes plan versus this restrictive tool. Wow. Yeah, breaking stuff up like that is probably so helpful. We talk a lot on this show about systemic stuff, but I think in terms of just the day-to-day, who is someone who should budget? Because I know also, like, as someone who's freelance, you know, it's often been hard for me to budget. So, like, who are the types of people that it works best for? Honestly, everyone. So when you oh. when you freelance, it just looks a little different. So once you get your number with the budget, right? Then now you then you can start to open up different bank accounts. You could say, okay, I'm gonna open up a bills account just for my bills. So that means you already know your B and your UB expenses go into your bills account. That's how much money you mm-hmm. added up. And then you know your C expenses goes into your other checking account. This is your spending account. This is like, you know, like, you know, it's attached to your debit card because you don't want a debit card for your bills account. 
You also want to integrate savings for emergencies and for goals. If you can't, if you don't have enough left over for saving for um, goals, that's okay. At least focus on putting away something for emergencies. Now, if you're a freelancer like I was for so many years, I still have to work by the number. So either way, the budget, the numbers are key. If you have a regular job, then it looks like this. $300 goes into my bills account every pay period. $100 goes into my spending account every pay period. $50, $50 goes into my savings. For emergencies, $50 goes into my savings for goals. Number, number, number. When you freelance, it's still a number, but it looks more like percentages. So you might say, I'm going to put 5% into my emergency savings, 5% into my goal savings, 50% into my bills, and you know, 40% into my spending. So you still want to work by the numbers. But with freelance especially, this is critical. This helped me so much because I used to live hand to mouth. Literally, when you paid me, you paid me. So I was like, you right. know what, Tiffany? No, let people pay the pot and the pot pays you. So just imagine, you're like, okay, imagine oh. someone's paying you and there's a pot between you. So you're going to yeah. do your budget and you're going to say, okay, Gabby, you're going to be like, okay, I looked at my budget and the bare baseline that I need. So looking at mostly just my B's and my UB's, a little bit of C's, even though like my life can't cost me $5,000 a month, I can live off of 4,000 if I had to. So now you know that the pot should probably pay you $2,000 every other week, right? At minimum. Yeah. So then when someone pays me, let's just say you like, you know, you got some great spokesperson work or whatever, and it was $30,000. Woohoo! The $30,000 does not go to Gabby. It pays the pot. And the pot still pays you your $4,000 that month. Maybe a little extra because you're feeling spicy. But for the most part, it still pays you that $4,000. <laughs> because the next month, you're like, it was really slow and you only made $500. That $500 goes into the pot. But guess what? The pot can still pay you your $4,000 because you put your big money and your little money into the pot and allow the pot to pay you. That is one of the best ways to navigate as a freelancer to basically almost become your own boss internally. Like, no, 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 no. The pot is going to pay me consistently, even if my money is inconsistent. Wow. So how does that dovetail when you're working with underrepresented groups like like women and Black people like you, you mainly have? So when I'm working with underrepresented groups, I mean, the funny thing about numbers is that numbers are numbers. It's maybe the mm-hmm. approach, you know? Like, so for example, I am first-generation American. My parents were born in Nigeria. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm speaking to other people who come from immigrant families, you know, I might acknowledge you're likely sending some money home to your home. Right, your, your mother, that's you what know? I mean. Like the specifics of those groups, I think aren't usually factored in when people talk about budgeting. And so that's important. So I would say that like, hey, that's part of your budget. I might say, I would make that, even though you might say, oh, that might be a C. I'd be like, no, sending your great your grandmother in Nigeria money every month, I'd make that a B. That's the kind of conversation that we would have, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, like also too for immigrant families, oftentimes, you're taking care of, you're expected that when your parents retire, that you're going to contribute and take care of them. And so like right. start preparing for that now, you know, or if you, you like, I know in, in many black families, speaking about money is very taboo, especially with children, even if they're not children, like, you know, just your children. So just even mm-hmm. working through, here's how some of the conversations that you can have with your parents to get them to loosen up. Cause it's very much like, well, that's grown folks business and you're not grown yet. You know, right. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of language I use when I'm speaking to my audience, because I'm a part of the very group that I'm serving. Right. 
you know, I think a lot of times when people talk about budgeting, it's largely, you know, cis straight white men. And Mm -hmm. I found sometimes they don't factor in the reality that like women in the workforce probably need more clothes, probably need more grooming products. Mm -hmm. Like, unfortunately, you know, like I think sexism and racism don't really come into play when you're talking about budgeting. So I just I always try to deal in reality here on Bad With Money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, no, I totally agree. When I talk about it, I mean, I don't use any of that vernacular. I don't use any of that jargon. I'm like, it's BS. You know, like Mm -hmm. just call a thing a thing. I teach like via lives and like plain speak. And because I want financial education to be accessible to all people, that is one of my mm-hmm. missions as the budgetista that like we don't leave anyone behind. And although like my core audience is black women, I always say as a teacher, I don't turn anyone away. Of course. You know, but I do remind men that they're a guest of a guest, so they get to eat last. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> How do you give hope to people who feel like, I'm sorry, Tiffany, but like I absolutely cannot budget? Here's the thing. You set up the framework and then you do what you can. The first three or four years of me starting the Budgetista, the only pot that got paid was the bills account. There was no mm-hmm. spending account, checking it. There was no, nothing was really going to emergency savings or savings for gold. No, but I had them set up though. Mm-hmm, you know, because mm-hmm. I was like, this is what we're working toward. It is really just like, I'm making enough just to pay bills. And even quite honestly, I didn't even have enough to pay bills. Right, <laughs> like right, it was right. like, uh, Verizon, sis, I heard you, but what did I tell you about? I don't have it this month again. And that's okay. I've been broke, broke when it's like, yeah, this is cute, but I don't have enough money for my basics. Exactly. So then that's when I say, honestly, you have to say basically screw everybody else and take care of yourself and focus on only your health and safety bills. So health and safety Mm -hmm. bills are bills that you would say, okay, do I have to pay this to be healthy? Do I have to pay this to be safe? So if you have Mm -hmm. asthma, sis, get your pump. Like Verizon can wait. Disney, Disney plus can wait. You know, if you can't, if there's no couch you can crash on, then do what you can to pay that rent. But everybody else can wait. Literally everyone else can wait. And will that drag down your credit score temporarily? I went from an 802 to a 547 and back up to an 800 again. Nobody Mm -hmm. does. You know, I want Mm -hmm. you to be okay. So you prioritize the with a little bit of money that you do have, you prioritize your health and safety until you make a little more. Yes. I think people view budgeting as the same as saving, but it honestly is just being aware of what's going in and what's going out. Mm -hmm. That's the basic. Mm -hmm. And then it can go hand in hand with saving once you have enough to like approach that part of the budget. I agree. Um, Because Mm -hmm. I think people are like, I can't budget because I can't save. And it's like, those are two separate things. Exactly. Because budgeting is not, you might not be able to save while you're budgeting. You know, Mm -hmm. budgeting is just merely, like you said, money in, money out and doing so consciously. Because the hardest part for me when I started, even when I started this show, was I, I did not want to know what was going in. I did not want to know what was going out. I was... So scared that the idea of finding out and being in control, like even just being like, I know that my bill is this. I know that my whatever is this was like so scary. I just did not want to do it. And honestly, that's not uncommon. I used to get the red envelopes, those pink envelopes. I'm like, (laughs) so me and my friends, (laughs) one of the things we would do is that we would like meet up on the weekend and we would swap envelopes. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) I wasn't afraid to open Linda's pink envelope. I'm like, girl, it had nothing to do with me. (laughs) So then she'd be like, tell me what it says. Tell me what it says. I'm like, okay. It's not as bad as you thought, girl. It's only 200. Okay, okay, okay. So I feel like money, especially with women, it's a group activity. Do not do it alone. I, I do not suggest it. 
you know, having someone that you trust that's going to give you the grace and the space to grow and learn. So literally, I would have her open my envelope and basically like like, as if it was a scary movie, like hands over my eyes, like, what does it say? (laughs) You know, (laughs) and then we would work it out together. So it's not about being perfect. It's just about working toward getting better. So let's say that you had a budget for 2020. Mm -hmm. It's January 2020. You're like, I am killing it. And then a pandemic hits. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Well, first things first, I say, drop down and get your noodle on, girl. If you're like, yikes, I think I'm going to get fired. I think I'm going to get furloughed. Get down to your noodle budget right away. And so that just means no bells and whistles. That means you're just paying basic bills. You're going to cancel all of that extra stuff because we're kind of waiting it out to see. It's not, noodle budget is not where you live. It's just, it's just a temporary tool that you're like, my life normally costs me $6,000 a month. But if I get rid of all of these bells and whistles that are non-essential spending, my bare bones budget, my life really costs me $4,000 a month. Great. Because what you don't want to be is what I call the lady in the fur coat. So like in 2008, 2009, when everybody was suffering, and especially like a lot of wealthy people lost a lot of money. During that time, I was like in Bergen County, New Jersey, which is one of the wealthiest counties in New Jersey. And I was at a gas station and there was this lady with one of these huge like SUVs and a fur coat, super fancy schmancy pants lady. And in Jersey, you get, you know, well, here we don't pump our own gas. So I think she was putting like $20 in this huge monstrous truck. And I was putting like, you know, whatever, $5 of mine because that's all I had. And so she gives the guy credit card, boop, denied, another credit card, boop, denied, another credit card, boop, denied. Denied, denied, denied until she had to call someone. And I thought to myself, okay, Tiffany, no shade to her, but I don't want to be the lady in the fur coat. Meaning someone who continued to live the same lifestyle, even though my money was funny. That I wanted to pivot temporarily so I can extend how much my money will last me. And then when when things are better, then I can go back to my normal life. So I'm always very conscious about that. They're like, okay. What do I need to cancel now? So that way I can still pay most of my bills, even when I'm on unemployment. And that's just focusing on health and safety. Mm -hmm. Well, no, health and safety is when you literally might even tell some of your bare bones budget, I'm not paying it. Like, for example, health and safety. I told my mortgage now, I don't have it. And so it sucks because I think people think, oh my God, this is where I have to live forever. But you're saying it's it's just a temporary like, look, we're in a pandemic. Everything is not what you thought it was going to be. You're not going to be here forever is like kind of the mantra you have to tell yourself. You do. And it's really hard. I'm not going to pretend like it because human beings, they did this study and they're like, human beings are such strange creatures. When things are good, we're like, oh, my God, it's always going to be so good. And when things are bad, we're like, oh, my God, it's always going to be so bad. Even though two weeks ago it was so good. It's like, right. we're like goldfish. Oh, my God. Oh, new scenery. Oh, my God. Oh, new scenery. Like we, so it's very difficult because even though logically, you know, that there's cycles to life. When you're mm-hmm. in a cycle, you totally lose your money. You forget. So that's why to me, it's important to work through your money in community. Because you can be re-reminded, like if I'm in Dreamcatcher Group and I'm like, oh my gosh, I lost my job. And someone said, me too, last week, but I found a new one. It's a reminder of like, oh, there are brighter times ahead. That, I mean, honestly, and here's the thing, it doesn't always have to suck. So some of my best years were my brokest because I said, okay, Tiffany, you have nothing. I want to move out of my parents' house. A friend of mine said, hey, I just rented a room in this really pretty brownstone downtown. And she was like, the lady's only renting out rooms for 500 bucks a month. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. 
I barely could make that. I was like, I think I can make that work. And so I, you know, I started living there and then we invited other women our age. Cause I was like, I do not want to live with like some wild keggers, you know, college student folks who just, right. gonna, you know, so we literally had this house with 30 something year old women. It was like four of us and it's beautiful. Brown. We cooked together. We laughed. We went, we clubbed together. We did everything. It was so much fun. Even though I had no money, I had just enough for this $500 room. Literally the, the brownstone was right next to the library. So we would have to sit on one side of the house in order to get the free internet. Cause we were all broke. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes, totally. It was, I totally know that. Oh my God. Normally that would have been depressing, embarrassing, but because I was living in a house with these amazing women who were also working on their dreams, our house became like the go-to. Everyone was over. It became like a think tank. People would come and share their hopes, dreams, and goals. It was just because so many of us had lost our jobs. So there was, I mean, on a regular basis, we just had so many people in the house just hanging out, working on goals. And it was some of the best times in my life. And so I say that to say that you really can make life what you want to make it. I mean, although definitely there were times when I'm like, this really sucks because it would be nice to like, you know, have my own place. It would be nice not to feel Mm -hmm. broke all the time. But there was still lots of joy to be found. And I promise you that even if you're going through it, there's still joy to be found and to lean into that. How have you been helping people adjust? Like, what are you saying for people budgeting in 2021? So budgeting in 2021 looks like leaning into savings more than debt. Before I would be like 50-50. Let's just say you have some debt. I'm like, oh, you know, be aggressive with your debt. Be aggressive with saving because I want you to eventually save to invest as well. So not just saving for emergencies. But now I'm like, "Mm." the debt and like for in large part can wait because I don't want you to focus so heavily on debt that you don't have a safety net. Because if 20, if raggedy 2020 didn't teach us anything, it taught us the value of a safety net when it comes to our money. And so I tell people like now, like, you know, budgeting looks a lot like finding money that you can put toward your emergency savings above all else. And then if you have excess beyond that, then you could put some like half toward debt and half toward saving for goals. So that's how budgeting looks different. And budgeting also looks different in knowing the levels. So lost your job, no money coming in, health and safety budget furloughed. Mm-hmm. So you have enough money or, you know, um, your unemployment, it will allow you to at least pay your regular bills, noodle budget. You know, you didn't lose mm-hmm. your job because maybe you're in an industry that's thriving or whatever, regular budget, but leaning into investing and saving more. Yeah. I've been actually hearing that from a lot of different money people I've been talking to about how normally the goal would be to pay off debt, but In actuality, if you don't have any savings, but you're like, oh, I really paid off so much of my debt this year, it didn't matter because there was a pandemic. Exactly. It actually has shifted people's budgeting more towards having uh, a safety net available because if something like this happens, it's not going to do you any good to not have any debt. It's going to do you better to actually have stuff saved or invested. Mm -hmm. I always say this. So just imagine you're like, okay, because people ask me all the time when it comes to their debt, like... Okay, so Tiffany, I've got $2,000 in savings, but my card note, I owe $2,000. Should I use the that my savings to pay off the card note? And I'm like, no, because here's why. At least if, if your $2,000 is the only one you have for emergency savings. If you use that emergency savings to pay off the card note, and you're like, woohoo, we all know how petty cars are. As soon as you pay that bad boy off, the car's like, ooh, my neck, my back, my neck, and my back. Something's going to go yep. off the car, right? Yep. And then you're going to look at your savings, which is now empty, and it's going to be like, sis, you spent us already. So what are you going to do? You're going to swipe your credit card and get right back into debt again. 
you know? So just being mindful. I always tell people this too, because no shade to the debt-free movement because I'm debt-free. I mean, I think it's cute over here, but debt freedom should be a goal, not the goal. Because debt freedom doesn't equal wealth. Like I always tease that I have a nephew, he's debt free. He doesn't have a car note, no student loan, no mortgage, but he's broke because Roman is five years old. You know what I mean? Like, you know, think about it, Gabby. If, if debt freedom was wealth, these toddlers would not be mooching off of us. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we all have, we all know some broke best friends. That's what I call little toddlers, right? So we all know some broke best friends. And it's like, so if debt freedom was all of that, meaning that not to say you shouldn't work toward it because I'm debt free like Roman, but it's a goal, not the goal. The goal is wealth and financial wholeness. Wow. I learned so much just in this short amount of time. So where can people find out more about you and what you do and, and listen to you talk more? Well, I am the budgetista on all the socials. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. And if you want to get my new book, Get Good With Money, 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole, everything I talked about plugged into the book, you can go to getgoodwithmoney.com. Yeah, go to an indie bookstore and purchase both Get Good With Money and also Bad With Money. And then let me know what the clerk looks at you like. Hello! Welcome to Dear Gabby, the segment at the end of the show where we read your reviews and emails or listen to your voicemails. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It might get read on the air. You can also send an email to gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail at 844-474-4040. And you can also send a voice memo to the email if you don't like making phone calls because you're not a boomer. Hi, Gabby. My name is Darian and I'm living in Canada. I just want to say thanks. Your podcast and my amazing partner encouraged me to change careers. And now I work at a nonprofit doing financial empowerment. Oh, I run a free tax clinic and also teach financial literacy to low income women. One thing I always teach is no one is bad with money. Mm-hmm. Money is a tool. We're all learning. And I really think that financial literacy is one piece in the radical puzzle of taking down capitalism. So thank you. Bye. Darian, what a succinct and wonderful and flattering voicemail. Thank you so much. If you want to leave a comment on Instagram at BWMPod and let people know where they can find out about your work and let people know where they can sign up to work with you, that would be really great. Or just leave another voicemail and tell us. (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay. Here we have a five-star review that says, inspired me to start writing podcast reviews. I've been listening to a variety of podcasts for over two years now, and this is the first review I've written, despite calls from all of them to do so. I started listening not because I was worried about my own habits so much as I loved the social justice bent, but the advice Gabby gives is spot on and non-judgmental, loving, and really opens up the conversations about something that should just be a tool, but so often is a source of pain for both those who have it and those who don't. It's amazing that she's still creating such great shows after six full seasons. Looking forward to at least six more. This show is so therapeutic. Thank you. Okay, here's an email that says taxes, sad face. We did a taxes episode with Kimberly Palmer from Nerd Wallet this season that you should go check out. One thing that's really important context is that the reason taxes are so complicated is because big companies like TurboTax and H&R Block have lobbied excessively to keep them complicated, to keep profiting off of people needing help to do their taxes. The fact that these companies are keeping software that makes taxes easy to themselves really gets in the way of legislators making actual progress on simplifying our tax code. It makes a lot of sense. 
And obviously, these companies are contributing big dollar signs to legislators to make sure that they actively work not to simplify taxes. Wow, that, like I said, makes a lot of sense. A huge, huge, huge portion of our taxes, which you alluded to a couple of times in the episode, goes to funding the military. And I would highly recommend taking a look at public citizens' work to decrease the Pentagon's budget. We'll put a link to it in the episode description. They have a bunch of really great simple tweets and stats about how if we decrease the military budget by like 10%, we get solved the housing crisis in the US. Or this, or this. I'll put all the links below. I am sure other groups are doing a lot of work too. We have a huge problem with priorities here. Anyway, I start a new job for public citizen next week. Oh, I see. Oh, no, no, no. They're on their climate team, not this campaign. But you have the inside scoop. Happy to connect you to more resources, someone at the org to talk about it. Thanks for your thoughtful approach to this season, Elise. Nice. Yes, I love context. So thank you so much for providing that context around taxes. You know, I think I asked a few times during the episode why it's not more simplified, why we don't use the better ways that we know exist to do our taxes. The way that we do it now is very backwards, where we give an estimate to to the IRS and then the IRS tells us yes or no. When I've heard from multiple sources, they could just tell us. So I think that all of this complicated tax code probably serves the purpose that we've talked about a lot on this show, which is to keep things confusing so that people feel that it is overwhelming and don't have the resources to do it themselves. Thank you to everyone who wrote in or called in or left a comment or left a review. I really appreciate it. And uh, guys, don't be scared of the phone. Give me a call, 844-474-4040. Done.